Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So I faced a deep moral dilemma this week as I was standing in the aisles of Target. <laughs> Because I was tasked with shopping for, I have two little uh, nieces and one very young nephew. And I was tasked with getting gifts for them. Have you all ever shopped for a little child before? Like a child, even like uh, young enough that they can't really say what they like or not like, and it's just like a shot in the dark. And so here I am looking at these very gendered presents, and I'm like, well... Do I get the like super pink feminine thing that I'm pretty sure my nieces actually will like, but is reinforcing a gender construct that I do not agree with, but some femmes do like this, or am I gonna go for like the shark truck? Why is the shark truck an option? So I, or do I get like the obviously like, correct gift that they won't actually think is fun you know where it's just like like do i get them like the pile of dust that like is like so it's like man these are rough options isn't it tough to shop for these folks at least it is for me because i know that anytime i give a gift to a young person it's kind of like inviting them to a certain type of formation experience. Every time we give a gift, it's like, this is how we're kind of expecting you to use your time or your attention. And yeah, there are certain things that can be reinforced in gift giving that may not eventually lead to the, the kind of world that I want to live in, right? Like, I want to live in a world where, where all the genders of people can have fun with makeup and maybe even all the genders of people can have fun with the shark <laughs> truck. I'm like, wait, so y'all are paying for that? Okay, keep going. <laughs> so, uh, so I, and this is kind of the classic question with children, isn't it? That, that the spaces we create tell kids what they can keep. The spaces we create tell kids what they can keep. And uh, there are educators uh, who work with young people in this space right now. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not that we're, I'm talking about like, you know, kids are a blank slate and we have to force a certain curriculum on them. I'm not about that life. I'm more like, there are certain things within a child that uh, we as adults allow to stick around or not. And we see that formation all the time. Uh, when we see young kids at the bus stop who are being told to say this type of word and not use that type of language. Or when we see kids uh, just like wildly flailing their bodies around and we, and we show them how to behave. Like we're forming children all the time. And that is again and again in a thousand microscopic ways telling kids what they can keep and what they can't keep. That's just part of what it means to be human. Every culture does this. Every since the beginning of time, every adult has, has imparted uh, or created space for what children can keep. And maybe you, in your own childhood, had a particular story of what you could keep or not keep. Uh, New City happens to have a lot of folks who are coming from traditions where, that they no longer identify with or believe in, and part of that is because as a kid, they were told that they could keep or not keep 
certain parts of themselves that they actually deeply treasure. And so this is, this is the dilemma of buying toys and also the dilemma of things like children's ministry and how we are creating um, a community that can, that can um, beneficially form a child. But here's something that I, I feel like we don't really talk about enough. And that's like just about every kid that I've ever met, just about every single one, maybe with the exception of like one or two, um, has an oops, uh, can intuitively experience God. Like just about every child that I've ever interacted with kind of has like an intuitive ability to, uh, uh, to encounter God. Have you ever like, been like watching a child and they were just like so enamored with the world. Like one time my niece sent me a little video that was like, Tyler, I found a spider and I love, love, love the spider. Like her voice blasted out. Like, I love the spider. And I was like, geez, like there's like a whole, there's like a Pentecostal moment happening right now with the spider. Like she is like, she's really enjoying the spider. Like that is like an experience of God. Oh my gosh. And so like, I just, you know, there's this, this kind of like intuitive wonder with the world, an intuitive amazement that I think is a posture of prayer. But even beyond that, have you ever been with a child who was like, yeah, I saw God over in the other room. And it's like, Wait, what? <laughs> like, like in a, like, like, uh, what, what did you look like today? Or <laughs> like, yeah, um, tell me more. But it, it does seem like kids have a certain type of spiritual sense. That's the word that um, a lot of different Christians throughout all of time have used to describe your innate ability to sense God. Just like um, uh, uh, we can train our feelings to be able to sense things, like to read braille, just like we can train our ears to be able to hear things, like um, uh, uh, we have music majors in our, <laughs> in our midst who are like, this is out of tune, and I'm like, I can't hear it. Uh, like, that's because they're trained to do that. Um, my partner Brian loves, well, my fiance, Brian. <laughs> um, okay. Um, <laughs> He loves food and he loves cooking and he's like a big culinary kind of person. And, um, and I um, am less gifted innately with the ability to prepare food that is delicious and delightful, um, to put gently. And so a lot of my meals that I make by myself are just powder mixed with the liquid. Like, it's, like let's just be real about that. So I'm, but I'm trying to work on that. I'm like, you know, like food is a huge part of my, um, like my lineage. I want to kind of reclaim the culinary tradition. I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, learn how to cook. And whenever I cook something, Brian has me taste it. And he's like, so what do you think we could add to this that would make it a little bit more delicious? Which is like a really sweet way to describe what, what he's doing. What could we add to this to make it more delicious. Also, it's burnt. No, uh, so like, but do you see that moment where it's like, I'm tasting this and I'm not a very sensitive, I don't have a very sensitive palate intuitively, but all of a sudden I'm directing my attention to be like, what am I tasting? What do I know about food? What combination of salt or fat or acid or heat uh, is going to like, 
help to make this a little bit more enjoyable or flavorful. And I am slowly improving. I want to name, like, like slowly, slowly but surely, I'm gaining an intuition for what it means to use this sense. And that's kind of what we're talking about with spiritual sense as well, where you're kind of like practicing noticing something. It's not like you don't have God and God is out there and we're like, we have to introduce you to God. We're, we're not about that life. It's more like we're just trying to hone in on how God is moving in your life or like have sensitivity to it. And by the way, in case this sounds like very new agey, I want to name that the spiritual senses have been a theme throughout history. Um, John Wesley, who uh, was kind of the founder of Methodism, is a significant uh, proponent of it. But we also have writings from Origen, from Augustine, like from all these folks from thousands of years ago who are like, you have a certain ability to notice God that is lost unless we hone it. And so for a lot of these folks, that's like, um, uh, you know, throughout history, it's kind of spiritual senses has meant different things. It might mean really understanding the true meaning of scripture. It might mean getting in touch with your soul's longing, your innate hunger for God. It might mean um, having a certain capacity distinct from reason, like a certain mystical knowing. All of these things are the spiritual senses. And this is kind of what we're um, trying to cultivate here, by the way. Um, so one of the things that um, I, I come from an American mainline Christian tradition. And in these traditions, there's some folks who uh, hear about these um, spiritual senses and they're like, we gotta create a program that's very rigid and focused on how uh, to cultivate these spiritual senses. Like we're not called Methodists for nothing. It's because there was like a method and we we're kind of like, okay, there's a method, stick to the method. But I think that uh, around the 1800s, things kind of got out of hand with the method part of it. And we kind of like started creating idols out of the rules. And we can tell the idolatry of our rigidness in, in what I call the rigid way based off of how we relate to children. So again, um, uh, so in the rigid way, we have kind of this narrative that children should be seen but not heard. And in fact, some of the people in this room grew up in churches where children were supposed to be seen but not heard. Um, and, and we also, uh, in this rigid kind of way, learned that faith is intellectual and serious and therefore adult, like you can't really understand faith unless you're very grown up, very driven, very disciplined. Um, and then lastly, like a kid's only job is to keep the same faith as their dad, like specifically their dad, right? Like there's, there's this kind of understanding of church that's like, unless you're a carbon copy of your dad, then it's not gonna work. Um, sorry, live stream. I just need to pause really quick. The, ki the kids in kids ministry made something amazing um, out, of, uh, out of foam in a, in a way that I've never seen before. And I just want to name, like, this is the exact, yeah, you can take a bow. Can we show some love? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made a tower out of uh, foam. And so this is exactly what we're talking about. Do you understand? Like, I, in my intuition, as a preacher, in my formation, I'm like, oh, no, people are going to not listen to my sermon 
and therefore like they're gonna miss god or like miss the holy spirit and then there's the wild goose of the holy spirit just being like look what i can do right like and maybe that is like a deeper spiritual learning in your life for today like maybe god saying look what i can do in your life is something that you need to kind of like ride with for a little bit um and and i think that we need to be rethinking of this entirely um in how we encourage children to participate in worship in general. Here's some sobering statistics from the Pew Research. Um, Pew Research asks people, how important is religion in your life? How important is religion in your life? And then they broke it down by generation. And so the chart that I am showing you, um, the bottom is the oldest generations, and then the younger the generations it goes, the... Uh, it, the more up it goes. So, okay, so uh, w there's a lot of interpretation to be had here. It's not as straightforward as perhaps Pew Research, Research is suggesting, but it does seem to suggest that, like, the way that we are forming children isn't creating, like, passionate folks who are, like, really, truly, deeply valuing religion in the next generation. And maybe that's, maybe there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but I think that one of them is because we kind of, I don't know about you, like are telling kids to go off and do like their own separate thing during church because the grown-ups have adult things to do over here. Or like, I don't know how much, how many of you went to youth group when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah. And how many activities were like, we're going to eat ice cream out of a trough. And it's like, why are we eating? <laughs> Literally, why are we re eating ice cream out of the trough? But it's like, maybe there's something about like, hey, church isn't for you. Go eat ice cream out of a trough. And then I'm going to be surprised when you're 25 and you're not interested in religion anymore. Like, why is this uh, a, a, a new, like, you know, do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say here? And you're like, oh, I can't help but dance to this. Have you ever had that moment? That's what faith is like. And, and developing your faith is not like uh, about dancing exactly the right way. It's about continually increasing your movement vocabulary to be able to dance to the music that is overhead. And like that is so um, life-changing and important that like, I am one of the people in the millennial generation that's like, yeah, religion is an important part of my life. <laughs> like, religion is the entirety of my life. I was one of those that went to college and became more religious, and then went to seminary and became more religious, and traveled all over the world and talked with a whole bunch of people who weren't Christian and became more religious. <laughs> because I realized that once you hear the music and learn to dance with God, that there is nothing else in the entire world that compares to it. There is nothing else that can support you through the tribulations of life like the Holy Spirit. I, like, it's so clear to me because uh, these spiritual senses that I'm honing are getting more and more sensitive every day. That's the gift of faith. That's, that's why I'm up here because I really believe that you have something in your life that is like begging to dance. And this is the invitation. Um, I also think that
as an aside, like, this is how the future of the church is going to grow. It's not through more and more elaborate programs. It's not through um, production. It's not through um, all these kind of like church strategy hacks. Like the way that the church will grow is through the Holy Spirit. And the way that we'll, the Holy Spirit will be part of our community is when you experience the Holy Spirit in your own personal life. So like that's, that's, uh, that's our only future. And if we can't experience God in our lives, then maybe the church shouldn't grow. <laughs> you know, like, I don't believe in growing the church just for the sake of growing the church. I believe in growing the church because it's the place where we can practice honing purpose, meaning, and accompaniment in our lives so that we can love the world better. What could be more worthwhile? So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that the mystic way is our only chance forward. And I just want to close with the observation that Jesus didn't grow up to be the Savior. Jesus didn't you know, it wasn't like Jesus needed a fully developed prefrontal cortex before he could become the Savior and be God on earth. This whole story of Christmas, the whole revolution, is that Jesus was God on earth as a baby, pre-intellectual thought, as amazing as intellect is, uh, that God was like, I, everything that you need to encounter God is encapsulated here in the pinnacle of human vulnerability, and, and that's all you need to be able to start your faith journey. So, like, the kids in our community and the kids who are going to be at the Christmas pageant uh, later today are kids who have everything that they need to be able to grow in God. I think about uh, the Magnificat, which was our reading for today. And uh, Mary, who is 16 years old, by the way, uh, some scholars say, said, my soul will magnify the Lord. I will glorify God. Children have everything that they need to be able to magnify God in their lives. And I guess it's just our grown-up job to create space for them to know that they can keep that. Amen? <laughs>